Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand and open to the first chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I do not think I exaggerate when I say that today is a historic day in the life of First Baptist Keller. The history of this church goes back, as you heard earlier, to the Wild West of the 1880s. And since then, the grasslands surrounding this city have been covered over with rooftops and concrete You're more likely today to be run over by a four-wheel drive SUV than a bison. (laughs) No matter how much things change, some things always remain the same. One thing that has not changed in 140 years is that the people in Keller, Texas need a savior. Whether they live in a sod house or a McMansion, they need a savior. And the means that God has chosen in his sovereignty to bring that gospel message has not changed as well. Scripture says faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Thirdly, when those people are born again and become Christians, they need a church home. Whether they drive a Conestoga wagon or a minivan, they need a home church. All of us finally will give an account for the way we have stewarded God's blessing. Whether that's a cattle rancher or an accountant, God holds us accountable. In our time remaining this morning, I want to talk to you about some of those blessings and provisions Some of those are general blessings that are available to every believer. And then finally, I want to talk about the specific blessings and resources that God has entrusted to the membership of First Baptist Keller. So let's read our text, Acts 1, verse 1. The first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. A cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. Well, the context, of course, of this part of God's scripture is that Dr. Luke has composed a letter to send to his friend Theopolis to give him a historic account of the first century church. His first letter, Theopolis, we know today as the Gospel of Luke, and this is the sequel, the follow-up to what happened after the resurrection. He begins 
was the account on the Mount of Olives where Jesus had spent 40 days previously revealing himself to literally hundreds of eyewitnesses, giving them instructions. He told them that they were to go back to Jerusalem and wait patiently there till the Holy Spirit came with power. Then in their very presence, he ascended from the Mount back into heaven. And just as Jesus promised, however, he did not abandon them. He was not leaving them without support or resources for this great task with which they'd been given, that is to be his witnesses all over the known world, to tell the gospel far and wide. So let's walk through these provisions this morning because 2,000 years removed from the Mount of Olives, those same resources are ours today. And the most important resource that Christ has given to his church is himself, the living Lord. Verse three says, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. He wanted them to know that what they had experienced over the last three and a half years, and particularly the last 40 days, was real. It was not a dream. He was not a ghost or a phantasm. He was in his glorified body. So he let them handle his body. He ate meals with them and taught them not just once or twice, but over a period of 40 days. Because they needed to know that God the Father was pleased with his son's sacrifice. The resurrection bore vivid proof that the substitutionary life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ was affirmed and accepted by the Father. And he shall rule and reign forever. Hebrews 7, 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians made it perfectly clear that the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus was not a secondary or tertiary doctrine. In fact, he seems to indicate that all of Christendom rises or falls on the resurrection. And I'm here to announce today, we serve a living Savior. The same resource that the apostles have, we have. The Lord Jesus also gave us a source of strength because he knew those men. He'd watched them fail time after time. Peter, the leader of the apostles, had denied that he even knew the Lord three times a month or so earlier. So verse 4 says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what God the Father had promised. And what he had promised is the Holy Spirit. Back in John 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, many of you long-term members here know that the book of Ephesians is my favorite book. We probably shouldn't have favorites, but I do. It's the only book that I've preached verse by verse through twice since I've been your pastor. We call it the treasure house of the New Testament because in it is revealed to believers the wonderful, incomprehensible treasures and benefits that accrue to every believer because of our being in Christ. He says that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been raised to be seated with Christ in those heavenly places. The sixth and final chapter of Ephesians describes the armor of God that he gives to us, all the resources. The apostle Paul knew that those resources though were not enough unto themselves. They had to be picked up and used. They had to be activated And the active agent in the work of the church has always been and must ever be the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul prayed for 
the church at Ephesus, and I think by extension all Christians everywhere, and recorded in Ephesians 3.14, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. This is the power source for the first century church, and it is the power source for First Baptist Church of Keller. So he's given us himself, the living Lord. He's given us the Holy Spirit, the source of our strength. He's also given us a clear command, according to verse 6. I don't know if you've ever had a job or a task that you've been given. Maybe you like the office, you like the people in the office, but no one's ever described to you what you're supposed to be doing all day. And it becomes very frustrating if you don't have a clear command. Well, Jesus gave us a clear command. Verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now you'll note, you eschatology students, Jesus does not deny that he's going to restore Israel one day. He just says it's not for them to know what that time is. They had a task to do that they needed to be focused upon. They were to be his witnesses all over the world. Now, they're all kind of witnesses, aren't they? Even a glancing view of our legal system tells you that the best kind of witness you can have in a court case is an eyewitness, someone who was there and observed with their own eyes and heard with their own ears. Well, I assume no one here was there on that mountain 2,000 years ago, though Mr. Flick claims to be 150 years old. So none of us were technically eyewitnesses, but if you've been born again, you've experienced the power of Christ. If your eternal address has been transferred from hell to heaven, you're an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus. You know enough to tell other people about him. And once you're born again, you also have a task, and that is to tell others about him through your life and through your words. Through our lives, we can be character witnesses for Jesus by our character, the way that we live our lives, the way we speak, the way we prioritize our finances, say to a lost and dying world who we serve. And then as we grow older, as we become more mature in the faith, as we study his word consistently, all of us should aim at being expert witnesses. That is, we ought to be able to give a clear, concise, coherent answer to people who ask us questions about the one that we serve. So we are his witnesses, and we shall be in the future. So the question among many theologians is, when Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses, is that a prediction, or is that a command? And the answer, I think, is yes. It's both. We know that in Matthew, when he gave the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And then here he affirms that in Acts 1.8, and he says, you shall be my witnesses. There is a clear prophecy, though, beginning in verse 9. This is a prophetic promise. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who had been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. I take that literally. 
And so I would remind all of us the reason our task is time sensitive and so crucial is the promise that is revealed here in verses 9 through 11. Jesus is coming again. Literally. Just as he literally was resurrected and literally received a glorified body and literally ascended back into heaven, he literally is coming again. And so these two men in white clothing, I take to be angels, ask a very provoking question. Why are you here? <laughs> He's in heaven. It's time for you to go to work. Go to work. And so they did. They went back to Jerusalem as Jesus had instructed them to. And they waited for the Holy Spirit to come in power. In Acts chapter 2, we see that he did. And then one day, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved and baptized in one day. It was the birthday of the church. And we've shared four baptisms here this morning over our two services. So our task is not fundamentally different. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And I think something else that's consistent with what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years is we've been obeying Christ inconsistently for 2,000 years. We know because of what Dr. Luke wrote about the first century church, they didn't always get it right. And we know from our church's history, we haven't always gotten it right. And you know from your personal history, you haven't always gotten it right. But our aim and ambition is to glorify the Lord. And so Mr. Flick was talking about those commitments that were made by our church a few years ago in, in the vision committee. And I support every one of them. But don't forget, there is a sixth commitment. And it overarches and undergirds all the others. Three letters, S-D-G, soli deo gloria. Everything we attempt to do for the Lord here must be done for the glory of God alone. And so to that end, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the sobering stewardship that First Baptist Church of Keller has. Now the word stewardship implies accountability. Back in 2005, when I was called as the senior pastor here, my first sermon as your pastor was from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, trustworthy. Did you notice there it doesn't say that they have to be found successful? When I discovered that and began to live it, trying to transform my ministry, God doesn't call me to be successful in the eyes of the world. He calls me to be faithful to the gifts and blessings that he entrusts in my care. And I believe that's true not only individually, but it's true corporately for any church. What God requires is faithfulness. That is faithfully attempting to fulfill the Great Commission in our particular geographical context. Now, from what you've heard from these missionary testimonies today, every context is different. It's amazing, isn't it? Jeff Selfridge up in Toke, Alaska, ministering to Inuit Indians, and the only way he can get to church this time of year is by snow machine. Every two weeks or so, Jeff sends me a picture by text of the thermometer on his front porch. 
Last week it read 55 below. And then I think about those faithful Kenyan pastors that onboard ministry is, is reaching right on the equator. It was not 55 below when I was last there. I think of our Christian brothers like uh, Brother Ken up in the balcony. He and his friend Eugene fled persecution in China. But rather than hiding, they're on the campuses of our universities in North Texas reaching Chinese students every day. I think of Jason Harris and his family who we're sending out today. Jason, who could have lived very comfortably where he was in the Bible Belt, and yet sensed the calling to go where there was a great need, just as the Waldrops did. And I think of our own context, the sprawling suburbia of North Texas. And here is why I call it a sobering truth. The Bible says to whom much is given, much will be required. And I don't know about you, I can't think of a church that has been blessed more than ours in so many ways. One for location, 40,000 cars a day passing by here on their way back and forth from work and to school and to the ball fields. Ten miles from one of the world's greatest airports. If you have a passport, you get on a plane and go anywhere in the world a matter of hours from here. I think of the human resources, teachers, child care workers, people in finance, musicians. It's an embarrassment of riches here, to be honest with you. And then I think the financial resources. For over 140 years, the Lord has met the needs of this church, and as you heard read today, without taking one penny from the Gentiles. And God's mechanism for giving is to give his people the resources, then they would faithfully give it back to him to be stewarded wisely. Overwhelmed, I think, the last two years, which have been difficult in many ways, but unbelievably, the two greatest years of giving in the history of our church. So grateful for the Lord's grace and, and your provision. And so all of those blessings have two effects on me. One, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude, and number two, I'm scared to death because to whom much is given. Much is required. And so I wake up every day with this truth on my heart. Lord, how can we leverage these resources? The living Lord Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit indwelling every believer. All of these specific resources here, the human resources, financial resources, the geographical resources. I wake up every day and say, Lord, how can we leverage these blessings to bring you the most glory? How can we, as First Baptist Keller, glorify God with these resources? And so a few years ago, we put together a team of people, 50 people to be exact, staff members, committee leaders, ad hoc members, teenagers all the way up to people in their 90s. And we committed to pray with each other for a year and a half. And we had six meetings over a year and a half. And the outcome of that is our vision plan. You've heard some of that today. Reach this community with the gospel. Plant churches in other places. And do all of this using sound biblical stewardship principles. I want to remind you some of those principles today. On the screen you'll see some financial goals we started with here some years ago. Number one was to be debt free. And as you know, three years ago we met that goal. Secondly, 
to have six months of cash reserves. And as Brother Scott announced, we are there. To have 10% of our gross receipts, not staying within the walls of First Baptist Keller, but blessing other people through missions. And we've met that goal, thanks to the Lord. We've had one more goal that's been sort of a thorn in my side, to be honest with you, for 15 years. Trying to get our personnel budget, our salaries for our staff, under 50% of the overall budget while continuing to take good care of our staff. And that's a hard thing to balance. But uh, I'm happy to announce to you when we unroll our new budget for the next fiscal year, we believe we'll be there. And so we've met those goals that you see on the screen. One I missed in the earlier service, number three, is to acquire the land for the master plan. The city has wanted from us a long time a master plan for the future. And I've, I've been tapping the brakes on that because I said we don't own all the land we think we need yet. And I think it's uh, not very neighborly to put someone else's house on our master plan. And so about a year and a half ago, we purchased the last acre that we think we need. And uh, therefore, we, we uh, employed an architect to come up with a master plan, which he is going to take to the city in the next few days. And we'll move forward from that. So say all that not to take a victory lap or pat anybody on the back, but to say the Lord is good and he's faithful. Now, as it relates to this north development, our phase two, there are some principles there in effect. Number one, we have committed that we'll only build or move dirt for an existential need, meaning we're not going to follow Kevin Costner's logic of if we build it, they will come. <laughs> the need is already there, and we are responding to the need. We need more parking. We need a place where families can gather outdoors. We found that very true the last two years. We need a place for the community to come that would never walk in this room that we could share the gospel with. Someone shared with me, more than someone, several people shared with me a viral video this week. It was the testimony of a young man who literally lived in the shadow of our steeple growing up. And unbeknownst to the people living here then, he was being abused at home. His parents were both alcoholics. His dad was very abusive. But a little lady in our church, who I never met, Mrs. White, invited him to Sunday school. And on the flannel board, she shared with him the Lord Jesus, and he believed on Christ. And for the last 30 years, he's been a pastor in the Lord's church, serving now in Kentucky. I didn't know he existed till last Sunday, but the Lord used him in a mighty way. You don't know how your faithfulness is going to affect generations in the future. Our job is to be faithful. We don't have to know. Because if our aim, which it says it is in our vision plan, is to give God the glory, we don't have to know <laughs> till we get to heaven. And then we'll know it better than ever. And so I would say to you that uh, I am behind this project. I thank our committees, Brother Scott, all those who put input, it's, it's faithful, uh, they're faithful ministry. And we're gonna hold to that commitment of raising at least 50% of it up front. We believe we've got 100% of it. But that's true of those larger projects you know are coming down the line. We are committing and holding firmly that 50% has to be raised up front before we turn a shovel of dirt. And then finally, that will have no more than twice our annual budget in debt at any one time. 10% of everything given to the mission fund goes to, to the vision fund rather, goes to church planting. You heard from Brother Jason this morning. You'll hear from another one of our church planters when you come back at 530 tonight. 
Those brothers and their families will be supported through the Vision Fund. We have accrued $150,000 and committed that to the next church in Utah over the next five years. It's already been accrued. It's already in the bank. We've just been praying for the Lord to send the right person to plant the church. And in his sovereignty, the Lord's done it. Would you agree with me? The Lord can be trusted. When we serve him together, he blesses. It's our task to do our part to be faithful in the Great Commission. Let's ask for his help to do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the incredible reports that we've heard today. And Lord, we don't take credit for one drop of it. You didn't need us. You gave us the privilege, the honor, the, the high duty to use the resources that you entrust us with for your glory and your kingdom's advancement. Lord, uh, thank you for those who went before us, whose shoulders we stand upon today. And Father, we aim to do the same for the next generation, but I confess to you, Lord, it's my prayer that we won't have to do any of these projects. It's my prayer that Jesus would come again in this year. But Lord, if he doesn't, we have a job to do still. So this is our plan to manage the resources you entrust us with. And Lord, at any moment in the future where that ceases to be your plan, would you be so gracious to point that out to us that we may stop what we're doing and seek you again. Lord, we entrust these things to your care. I know that's the safest place they could be. Use us, Father, to glorify yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.